welcome. We're in our second week of this series right now that we're doing called How to Be Strong. And uh, we are discussing what it looks like to have a strong faith, which I think looks very, very different than what culturally Christianity has looked like over the last 20, 30 years. In fact, you're going to see some things today, I think, that will be helpful for you in that. But let me just kind of recap where we were last week. We're looking at ethical ethical situations and issues that will help us figure out how do we make moral decisions, righteous moral decisions, in a world that is often not black or white, okay? So last week, Paul had a conflict inside the church. Now, if you've done any studying of the Bible for any, any measure of time, you will see that Paul writes in every one of his books about the unity of the church, because the unity of the church is so essential for the message of the church to go forward, and the message of the church is necessary to go forward for the goodness of society, culture, and the world. And so there's a problem in the first century, and that problem is between two groups of people inside the church, both sets are Christians, right? And there's, uh, it's an issue about food and what they're supposed to eat, what they're allowed to eat, what they're not allowed to eat. Now, most of us would look at that and go, well, that's a silly argument because we can eat whatever we want to eat, right? But remember, these are Jews coming from the Mosaic law where certain things were prohibited and certain things were allowed. All right, on this side, we've got Paul who talks about those who are weak in their faith. These people basically have built an argument. Okay, here's what's happening behind the scenes. So when you go to the market in the first century and you buy meat in the market, Many times that meat has already been consecrated and sacrificed to a false god or an idol, right? And so what Christians have, some people in this category that Paul calls weak faith, they have basically assumed that eating that meat would be wrong because number one, you have to buy it from the false religion, which gives money to that religion. And secondly, they were afraid that maybe if you were to eat that meat that was consecrated to an idol or a demon, then there would be some bad mojo or some bad juju on that, right? And as a result, they would be afraid to eat it because it might put something terrible inside of them. Now, just, you know, parenthetically for a second, this same kind of idea exists today as well in Buddhism. The idea of not eating animals in Buddhism is primarily around the idea of what takes place in the last moment of an animal's life. It's terrifying, it's terrible, whatever happens. And that if you eat that meat, that stuff comes into you. Paul looks at that argument and goes, that's silly superstition. This is weak faith. Now, these guys are like, no, 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 we can eat meat. Why? Because barbecue. And, uh, and they're like, you know, that's, that's what we're going to do. It doesn't matter if it's sacrificed to a demon, because what is a demon? Demon's nothing, right? And so we believe that we can do that. We can eat whatever we want. These people over here are eating only vegetables because they don't want to take the chance that their money goes to the wrong thing, or they don't want to take the chance that somehow they're going to get some bad juju. So on this side, they're making some arguments that seem to make sense. On this argument, on this side, they have freedom. Now, Paul looks at these and says, these are the ones that are kind of in the right here, but they were, they were wrong and they went wrong because they were judging and condemning these people. Now, on the other side, you have these with the weaker faith. They're looking at those who basically are exercising their freedom in Christ to, do, to eat whatever they want to eat and saying, you guys are making irresponsible decisions. You're not being wise. We have rules. We need to follow the rules. And they're being judgmental towards them. While these guys are condemning them, they're being judgmental to him. Paul stands between the two groups and doesn't take a side and says, listen, Things are not always black and white like that. His thing is, last week in the scripture, it said God accepts both groups. And so if God accepts both groups of people, then they need to accept one another as well. One of the challenges that we have in the church today is is for some reason, and I think it's bad preaching, to be honest with you, and I think it's politics, to be honest with you. I think it's, I think... For many of us, we've decided what it means to be strong in the world is to be loud in the world, to be angry at the world, and to say, I'm against the world, right? Well, unfortunately, or fortunately, I want to say, 
the Bible doesn't break everything down into black and white categories. It does have some things, and we're going to look at some of those things in just a minute, but not everything is black and white like that. So I'm going to ask you a question right now, right, up on the screen. What happens, what happens if we think someone is doing something we believe to be wrong, but that thing is not explicitly forbidden in the scriptures, right? So you got one group of, so for example, I mean, this could be anything from in vitro fertilization, right? Guess what? The Bible said nothing about that, right? Okay. So, so, so that was really confusing for some of you. You're like, I don't know. There was no science back then that was doing that, okay? Okay, so, so anyway, so the, there's certain things the Bible doesn't say anything about, and certain Christians have come down on one side or the other, okay? So how do you make the moral decision when the Scripture seems silent about the issue, and some people have chosen this side, and some people have chosen that side? How do, what do we do? Verse 13 starts like this. This is Romans 14, 13. Therefore, because all the stuff we just talked about, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. So the first thing he says is, look, if we can just stop right here and end the sermon, this is going to be a major impact for Christianity in our culture, okay? Stop passing judgment. Now, listen, I talked about this last week, and this is my basic presupposition for this message as well, and that is people are watching Christians all over the world. And as they watch Christians in America... If we walk around angry, frustrated, and mean, those people are not going to say that's Christians being angry, frustrated, and mean. They're going to look at our God and go, you have an angry, frustrated, and mean God. That's why you are the way you are. How we act in culture today has a massive impact on how the world sees God. And so that's incumbent upon us to make sure that we represent Jesus well in our society, in our culture, right? Therefore, he says, stop passing judgment on one another. Like our job is not to constantly be looking for how we divide, but how we unite. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. So what are we supposed to do? Well, instead of doing that, he says, make up your mind not to put a stumbling block or an obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. This phrase right here, make up your mind. What does it mean? It means this, decide ahead of time. Listen, it's never, never, never helpful for you to make big decisions in the moment. Most of us have to take a step back and go, I need to give this some consideration, some time. You know why? Because our brains are supposed to govern our feelings. And in the moment, oftentimes, in the moment, we're not going to make the, the right decision because we're not always motivated to make the right decision. Like, for example, let's just take something very basic. Let's say that you want to get healthy and you want to go to the gym and you're like, I'm going to start just getting my physical life back together. It's all going to work great. So here's what you can do. You can wake up each and every day and, and ask yourself, do I have the motivation to go today? If you choose that strategy, it's not going to work because you're going to wake up and go, no, you know why? Donuts. You know, like they're better and I don't have to breathe as hard and it's great. Like I can watch TV, you know, like so, so motivation is never the best way to make a change in your life. But instead, what do you do? You make up your mind. You make a decision ahead of time to say at eight o'clock, nine o'clock, I'm going to go to the gym every single day. And you, when you wake up and you go, I don't feel like it, it doesn't matter why, because you, you made up your mind. You've made up your mind ahead of time. You've made the decision ahead of time. And when you do that, it replaces motivation, which is transient and comes and goes, for something that's actually more stable, which is discipline and consistency. Discipline and consistency is the way that you're going to be strong in every area of your life. For some of you, you need to forgive someone. But, but the problem is this. It's really easy to forgive people when they've done really simple or small things to you. 
You know, when someone cuts you off in traffic and you go, I forgive you. You know, it's fine. It's because the Bible says a wise man, a wise woman overlooks an offense. We just let it go right by. But when you've been damaged by someone else and God's like, I want you to forgive this person, you can't wait for motivation and feelings to get there. You know why? You're never going to wake up and go, I feel so motivated to, you know, forgive my ex-husband or my ex-wife or the person who abused me. No, 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 no. It's never going to happen. And because you are wise and you realize forgiveness is necessary to move on and become a healthy person, you put yourself in bondage to those people because you never feel motivated to make the change. But instead, what we do is we decide ahead of time. I'm going to make a change in my life. And that change is going to be, I'm going to forgive someone, even though sometimes I don't want to. If you've been married for a while, you realize that motivation is not always why you are continuing with them. Why? Because you're making a choice. Like if you're going to be generous in your life, if you're going to be generous to other people, even if you're going to be generous to the church, you make a decision ahead of time. You don't look at the bills at the end of the month and go, what do I have left? Because there's going to be nothing left because you made other decisions, right? So you make a decision ahead of time. If you're going to forgive, you do the same thing. If you're going to stop passing judgment on disputable matters, you've got to make the decision ahead of time to be a different type of person. You wake up in the mornings and say, I choose you. I choose you. Here's the principle up on the screen. When we decide ahead of time, it takes away having to have motivation and replaces it with discipline and consistency. You have to decide ahead of time. So when I was uh, dating my wife, <laughs> uh, the ladies will appreciate this um, and men will understand it. Um, and so we were dating and we had just graduated from college and I was, my wife was all, I mean, she was heading toward marriage. She was headed towards marriage more than I was at the moment. And she was like, you know, what are we doing here? And uh, I'm like, I don't know. You know, just like I'm a guy. So I was just like, I don't know. I'm trying to figure it out. You know, I'm trying to, trying to make sense of all this. And I loved her. I thought she was fantastic and great. But we've always had this super, super, super transparent and real relationship where we can say everything to each other. <laughs> and so, here, so, here, so I, I just, we were talking. She goes, I need to know what's going on. Like, where are we headed? And I was like, I'm just, I have a little bit of fear and reluctance about like, what, like this. And part of this was like, both my parents were married three times. So I'm like, I don't want that. Like, I want to be married once and have that, you know, till death do us part kind of thing, right? Till she kills me or I kill her, right? One of, like either, one of those things, right? So, 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 but I said to her, I said, honey, like, here's, here's the thing. What happens, what happens if we get married and I find someone better than you? <laughs> right? Pastor had no game whatsoever, like nothing. That's how I talked to women. It was terrible. It was lucky that she married me, right? So, so, so I said, but I'm being, I'm trying to be like transparent on it. Like what do I do? And she is so wise. This is why I married her. And this thing that she said next changed my entire life, changed my whole life. And it'll change some of you too. She said, Mike, of course you will. I'm going to get older and you're going to, you're going to be able to find many girls who are going to be prettier. She said, you're going to know all about me and we're going to know all about each other down the road and you'll find someone more interesting. And she said, here's what you do. You have to choose your choice. And here's, here's, here's what happened. Like all of a sudden in me, I realized it wasn't about motivation. It was about making a decision ahead of time. It wasn't about me being motivated to love her. It's about waking up every single day and going, I choose you again. I choose you again. I choose you again. That's the same thing we do with Jesus. When we wake up and we're disappointed or we're frustrated with our life, I say, I choose you again, Jesus, because Jesus is always in the background choosing you. 
over and over and over. You fail, you fall, you fail, you fall, you fail, you fall. And he goes, I choose you again. I choose you again. The only way you are strong and endure in anything in your life is you choose it over and over and over again. Make your choice ahead of time, right? When we decide ahead of time, it takes away having, any, having to have any kind of motivation and replaces it with discipline and consistency. It makes a huge difference in your life. Verse 14 says, I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that, having, that nothing is unclean in itself, but if anything, but sorry, but if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it is unclean. He says, I'm convinced being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus. Paul didn't question his relationship with Jesus. When I became a follower of Jesus, I questioned my circumstances. I questioned things in the world. I questioned people sometimes. I've never, ever, ever questioned whether my relationship with Jesus is something that should be continued. Why? Because I made the decision ahead of time. And when you make the decision ahead of time to choose your choice, you're always convinced because you're making the choice over and over and over again. Paul is fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus Christ that nothing is unclean for him. Now, that doesn't mean, just as you're reading that, and you go, well, everything's on the table then. We can do anything and everything. No, no, there are certain things. We'll talk about some of those in a second. There are certain clear things in the Bible that say, that, that says, stay away from these things. Don't do these things. Why? Well, because these are boundaries God puts around Christians' lives so that when we live inside those boundaries, and we'll talk about it in a second, when we live inside those boundaries, it's healthy. This is where we are. This is where we experience goodness and peace. Why? Because we're not walking around all the time wondering, you know, one of those boundaries is lying. It says, you know, don't lie. You're not walking around peaceless because you're afraid that, that somebody's going to find out you said something wrong or lied to them. There is inside the boundaries that God gives to us all kinds of peace. So here he's talking about this food with these two groups of people. He says, guys, nothing's unclean in itself. But, but here's, here's the case. Like today, Many Christians, just we talk about rights in this country all of the time, but there's nothing like that described in the Bible. The scriptures teach us about sacrifice, and it's different. So nothing is unclean in itself. Any food, any drink is appropriate. Now, our Southern Baptist friends would tell us that over here, this doesn't include things like alcohol, right? Because that's outside the boundary, which is problematic, right? Why? Because Jesus' first miracle was what? See, drinkers. You know that because you're like, ah, oh, I, I, I bet if I said the second miracle, you'd be like. Okay, so the first, the first thing was turning water into wine, right? And, and, and that's, and that's so, so a danger in trying to determine morality is getting to the scripture that says nothing is unclean in itself and then adding a rule to it in order to protect yourself. Eve did this in the garden with Satan. He said, hey, did God really say that you could not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? And she goes, yes, and I'm not allowed to touch it. And you see how she got there, right? Because God said, don't eat from it. And she goes, well, I'm not even gonna touch it. Because if I don't touch it, then I can't eat from it. Seems holy, seems righteous. But it was the beginning of her undoing. Why? Because she didn't follow the scriptures or the word of God. She added to them. And when you add to them, you're on your own. You're out from under the protection of God, right? Nothing is unclean in itself. So I have these friends. And uh, I like to go to, to lunch with these guys. I tell you, uh, they're alcoholics, or they're former alcoholics. They're followers of Jesus who struggled with alcohol at one time in their life. And I love to, to, to hang out with al- people who, who have struggled deeply in their life, partly because like, when you've been an alcoholic, you've been a drug addict or somebody, something like that, and you hit rock bottom, there is a depth to your personality that you understand what struggle is all about. 
And your relationship with Jesus, these people's relationships with Jesus is not an add-on to their life. It's the very foundation and necessity of their life. Like you pull Jesus out and their whole world falls apart. For some reason, I think some Christians, if you pull Jesus out, they actually would be just the same. But for, for, for these guys, you know, if you pull Jesus out, they just, everything falls apart at this point. But you know what I don't do? Like, I don't walk around screaming about my rights because it's my right. It's right here in the scriptures. It's my right to drink whatever I want and to be able to eat whatever I want. So when I go out to eat with them, though, because they're alcoholics, I don't order anything to drink, right? Why? Because that's one of the ways in which I care for them, right? I'm going to take my freedom and I'm going to diminish it for the sake of their conscience, right? The beautiful thing about that is that's the very arc and nature of the gospel itself. God came down from heaven, put on flesh, Philippians 2, humbled himself, taking on the nature of a servant. The word humbling there means humiliation. Imagine God encapsulating himself in flesh. How humiliating is that? Jesus humiliated before us and then mistreated by us and then hung on a tree to die. He loses. And then three days later, the father raises him from the dead. The whole arc of our faith is we must lose, 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 and die, and then one day be raised to life again. We are not people who rock around going, I have my rights to do whatever I want. That's not Christianity. It's culture and Americanism, but it's not Jesus. And as Christians, we need to separate these things from our hearts. Nothing is unclean in itself. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to hang out with these guys, and I'm not going to do that. Not because I can't. Because it says I can right here, but because I won't, because I want to honor them and love them well. Because you know what happened to them, which could happen to any one of us? We could take our freedom and exploit our freedom and use it over and over and over again, and then we're no longer free anymore. Like, for example, uh, I, I can drink. Uh, let's just call it bourbon. And uh, so, so I have a little bourbon, and then the next day I have a little bit more, and the next day I have a little bit more, the next day I have a little bit more because I'm free, a little bit more, a little bit more, until one day I turn back around and I'm no longer free not to drink because it has hold of me. And that's why the scripture draws this boundary. Do not be drunk in wine because it leads to wickedness, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. So I'm convinced 100% in Jesus. Why? Because I made that decision a long time ago. I'm choosing my choice. That nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone, anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it is unclean. Do you know why it's unclean for the alcoholic and fine for you? Because they exercised and violated their freedom over and over and over again until they were no longer free anymore. So for that alcoholic, it is not appropriate for them to have any alcohol around. They're not free anymore to do that. You might be, because you can take a single drink. I have a rule all the time, and I just put it around my life because it's just something that helps me maintain it. It's not a legalism. I just say two drinks, period, right? I'm not going to go beyond that. Why? Because I don't want to get out of control, and I don't want to make a mistake. That's what we do, right? So it's true that there are certain things that are right for some people and certain things that are wrong for others. Um, like, for example, I think country music is an abomination, like it is, like, I mean, just, it's horrifying. And, and, I, and if you like it, it just shows bad taste in your part. You know, see, that's an example of judgmentalism right there. See how that works? See how it works? But that might be clean for you. It's unclean for me. It might be right for you, wrong for someone else. I'm telling you, it's horrifying. But there are things that are prohibited in the scriptures. There really are. Like, for example, we just take some big ones, for example, because I think we can all agree on them. Murder is prohibited in the scriptures. For example, we can't get five people together and go, because we're consenting adults, we all agree that we can kill this guy, right? That's, 
not how it works, because there's a boundary, why? Because God created these things, and he values life, and he's basically saying, listen, because I value life, and because I value the wholeness of the person created in the image of God, I don't want you to take unjustly another person's life, because that mars their, 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 the image of God, and that destroys the image of God, and that's not what I, what I have for you. For others, he says, hey, listen, I don't want you to commit adultery. Why? Because again, inside these boundaries, there's all kinds of beautiful things that can happen in that relationship. When you cross that line, it harms people. It hurts the spouse. It hurts the kids. It hurts the people that are related to that situation. It's not like you can't come back from that. Oftentimes, what God does is even in the middle of our wicked choices, he comes back and he forgives us and he heals us and he restores us. He can even bring beauty out of terrible things. The Bible says God brings beauty from ash. But it's better for us not to create the ash in our own experiences, right? We don't want to wreck our lives. And so we live within these safe boundaries that God has created. And then he also says, like I said a moment ago, like lying is an important thing that we don't do. It's one of the 10 commandments. Now watch this. Here's what's really important about this. Rules that God gives to us, these boundaries, are not designed for us just to follow the rule. You know, there's an old, there's an old bumper sticker that was out there years ago. It used to drive me crazy. Um, it said, um, God said it. I believe it, that settles it. It's a terrible theology. Why? Well, because there's no thinking behind that theology and it doesn't practically work. In fact, the Bible disregards that idea. Let me show you how. If you remember the movie uh, years and years ago um, about Oscar Schindler, it's called Schindler's List. Um, Schindler, Oscar Schindler was a guy who saved many, many Jewish people during during the Jewish Holocaust, right? During the time of the Nazis. People would come, Nazis would come to the door, and they would say, hey, um, you have any Jews here? He would say no, and of course he was hiding all kinds of Jews. He had uh, a tunnel that went all over the place, and he was saving, he saved hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. And uh, they would come and they would say, do you have any Nazis here? And he would say, no, I don't have any Nazis. He lied. But God gives us this don't lie because he's saying, look, I promise because I am God and I'm holy and perfect, I promise I will never lie to you. And therefore, I don't want my people to be liars, right? But the reason for this is because he's saying, I want you to have integrity and honor as a people. So don't lie. Don't just lie to get out of some problem. Don't just lie indiscriminately because you're trying to get ahead. Because that's not what my people do because it's not based on my character. But God's character is that which is maintaining the integrity of the person. So Oscar makes the decision, I'm going to lie, right? He saves these people and he honors the principle behind that, which is we're going to have integrity and do what's right. So is lying wrong? I mean, you, ask, you, t- you tell me. Do I, look, do I look fat in these pants? I mean, if you pause it all, guys, it doesn't matter. If you're like, it's all over. I mean, you could say anything after that, you're done. The idea behind it, going back to Oscar for a second, is where, what is the design behind the rule, right? For example, in the Bible, Rahab lied to protect some spies that God had sent to her. And as she does so, the book of Hebrews picks her up and calls her one of the hall of fame of faith and says her faith was credited to her as righteousness. Her lie was credited to her as righteousness. Why? Because she was protecting people and honoring God in the process of doing so. So so a legalist will hold on to that and go, no, 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 no. There's a rule. The rule says this. And here's why legalism is so so, so, uh, appealing to some people, right? Um, Because it's all about rules And you don't need to have faith if you have a rule. Because the rule defines whether or not you're right with God or not. That's what I said last week when I said Christianity has an uncomfortable amount of personal freedom in it. Rules were never designed to make us right with God at all. They were to reveal the character and the heart of God. So going back to our illustration on alcohol, 
Ephesians 5.18 says this, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, wickedness. I mean, doesn't that just make sense? How many stories begin, I was so trashed when, right? No, I mean, no one's like, I was reading my Bible when I had adultery. You know, I mean, like, it just, no, no one's like, that's just, those are two things that you can't do at the same time, right? But drinking, it causes all kinds of problems like that. So if you're not drinking right now, you're free to, but why start if you're not doing it now? There's no need to it. It doesn't necessarily enhance your life, right? It says, on the other hand, you know what it does? Instead of doing that, why don't you be filled with the Holy Spirit? Walk in the ways of the Lord. Paul continues, verse 15, if your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat or what you drink, you're no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy someone whom Christ died for. You know what he's saying right here, right? He's saying, look, so two groups of people, these guys were strong, these guys were weak. So if you guys are eating meat, and you're just throwing it in the faces of these who have weaker faith than you. And this can be eating meat. It can be anything. It can be your politics. It can be uh, your social issues, whatever it is. If you're taking these things and throwing them in the face of somebody else, exercising your freedom, you are no longer acting in love. And the primary ideal that Paul's putting forward here is that every action that a Christian has is to be, act, is to be monitored by the, the question of whether or not I am acting in love. Do not, by your eating, destroy someone else for whom Christ died for and loves. That's what our job is. My job is actually to go out into the world with you and everyone else and to live in such a way where if it's required of me to restrict my freedoms for the sake of somebody else's goodness, then I'm going to do that. The Bible teaches us that if others are here, we are here. It literally tells us that we are to humble ourselves if someone's here, put yourself here. Now, some people will push back on that and go, yeah, but that stops you from being great or it stops you from being excellent. No, it doesn't. In fact, be the best version of yourself that you possibly can be. Excel in everything that you do. Do the best at everything that you do, but, but realize that when you humble yourself and you are excellent, others will lift you up. You don't need to lift yourself up. God himself said, cast your anxieties on me for in due time, I will exalt you. When you are worried that I'm not getting as much attention as I need, I'm not getting the promotion I need, I'm not getting the next, next thing I need, don't just sit there and push yourself up. The whole world around you is telling you to do that. Watch out for yourself. If you're a Christian, you have God who's watching out for you. He is orchestrating the circumstances of your life, both good and bad. The bad ones, he's orchestrating for your good. He will eventually use this ash and these terrible seasons to bring good, beautiful things so you may be stronger on the other side of it. And if you're in a great season right now, it's because God is orchestrating the opportunities and the openness for you to be able to do that. So don't worry that you're going to be left behind. God never leaves you behind. He is always watching. He is always seeing what we do. So do not eat, do not by your eating destroy someone else for whom Christ died for. John 15, 13 says it a different way. Greater love has no one than this. You can't have a better form of love than this to lay down one's life for your friends to lay your life down for your friends, to actually make sure that they know that you love them by humbling yourself before them and doing best for them that they could possibly have. Imagine that we live in a world right now where every Christian was known for being a person who every time they encountered someone else worked for their good. I think, unfortunately, Christians nowadays are known for just the opposite of that, for being cantankerous and contentious. For some reason, and I tell you what I told you what it was earlier, bad preaching and politics has taught Christians today in America, only in America, 
but Christians in America, that to be righteous and to be strong is to be loud and to be obnoxious. Guys, we're either going to define ourselves by what culture tells us, which the Bible says we shouldn't do, or we're going to define ourselves according to what Scripture teaches us, which means we got to get into this more and realize this is the character of a Christian, not the person who's out there screaming for their rights, not the person who's worried about the politics. The Lord is building his kingdom regardless of the kingdoms of the world. Look at what it says right here. Verse 17 begins to describe that. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but one of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Look at this. The kingdom of God. Let's talk about that. Jesus said, John the Baptist said, when he was, when he was waiting and looking for Jesus, the kingdom of God is coming. The kingdom of God is coming. When Jesus came, he said, the kingdom of God is among you. I'm with you. I'm walking with you. So when the Bible uses the phrase, the kingdom of God, it's describing a kingdom, right? A kingdom that is separate from all the other kingdoms of the world. We live in the kingdom of the United States. The kingdom of God is different from that. The kingdom of God is sometimes in contrast with that. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking. In other words, it's not a matter of behavior management. Now, everybody look up here for a second. You can't be more right with God by behaving better, and you can't be less right with God by not behaving well. The foundation of your relationship with Jesus is not whether you're performing for him, but what Jesus performed on your behalf. His death, his burial, and his resurrection, his willing sacrifice on your part, means God loves you right now as much as he is ever going to love you. And you go, I don't understand, Pastor Mike, that can't be possible. You don't know the things that I'm doing right now. You're expecting and looking at all these other people who are good people, but I'm not. Listen, if Jesus died for your sins and he forgave all your sins once and for all, he can't love you more than he loves you right now. He loves you fully. Now listen, if you're doing stuff that are outside those boundaries right now, that's causing you trouble, not him. God God is not frustrated with you. He's frustrated at you when it comes to these things. He's 100% for you, but he's not gonna pull back. Somebody said, you know, one day they said, uh, hey, Pastor Mike, what do you think your kids could do where you would just like be, I'm out? And I said, nothing. Why? Well, because you see that. You see, you see moms and dads on the TV when, you know, a news person is interviewing them and their, their kid's done something stupid and terrible. And they go, he's a good boy. Why? Because a mom and a dad sees their children with eyes that only a mom and dad can see their children with. Your father in heaven is exactly the same way. He sees you differently. He sees you, first of all, through the lens of his son, Jesus, which, who was perfect. That doesn't mean you're gonna be perfect. I'm not either. I'm a sinner. Saved by grace and the mercy of Christ, period. When I get to heaven, that's all I'm gonna say. I'm here because Jesus invited me. It's the only thing we've got to hold on to. The kingdom of God is not about whether you're gonna eat, drink, eat or drink this, your social issue, your political party, your whatever. No, no, no. God will work those things out and through your life over time. The Holy Spirit will guide you in these ways. But the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but look what. So it's not about, it's not about outside things, but it's about righteousness, what God has done inside you. And that produces peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. If you don't walk around in peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, it may be because you're walking out of bounds with God's will right now. So get in his will, walk in his will, because that's where joy and peace are found. This is a matter of what happens on the outside of us. This is a matter of what happens on the inside of us. And if you don't live to the outside of yourself, but live to the inside of yourself, anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and 
receives human approval. That's a pretty powerful thing. Not only will God look and say, man, I'm, I'm so proud of you, but everyone else will look at you and go, I'm so happy to be in relationship with you. There are Christians that are so cantankerous that no one can stand to be around. And I know some Christians who are so gloriously kind that everyone wants to be around them. And I believe that's what we're called to be because I think that's what the, first, the fruit of the Spirit is. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. If you cannot control yourself, you're going to make Jesus look bad in the world. Verse 19 says it like this. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. This phrase right here means do your absolute best. Let us therefore do our absolute best to do what? To lead people to peace and mutual outcomes. Mutually beneficial outcomes is what mutual edification means. So I'm going to work for your good and you're going to work for my good. And we're going to work for the good of others and they're going to work for the good of us as well. Verse 19, verse 20 says this, do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. Whatever your food issue is, whatever your issue in culture is, all food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. So if you're in the situation for the sake of food, politics, opinions, fears, whatever they are, lack of self-discipline, past regrets, these are not things that we are gonna destroy the work of God for. These are things that we're gonna work through so the work of God is not destroyed in our life. Verse 21 says it very well. It says, it is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. We're gonna humble ourselves and we're gonna restrict our rights at times. Here's the principle up on the screen. Sometimes we restrain our freedoms so that others can have a clear conscience. And that's what it means to be strong. It means sometimes we're gonna hold back. Sometimes we need to hold back. Verse 22 says exactly that in a very old, uh, very old way. Here it is, and I'll, I'll translate it for you. So whatever you believe about these things, whatever you believe about your food, your politics, your opinions, your fears, your lack of self-discipline, your past regrets, your indulgent anger, your judgmentalism, your uncontrollable lust, your ingratitude, your jealousy, your anonymous cruelty. How often are people cruel online and no one knows who they are? Verse 21 says, verse, sorry, um, verse 22 says this. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. This is an ancient way of saying, shut your mouth. <laughs> keep it between yourself and God. Why? Because blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. You and I don't need to speak into everything. I have a friend. He's right there. I was just gonna, I didn't even know you were in the service. And uh, I have a friend. His name's Jim Bauer. He's one of our elders at the church. And Jim uh, sits in meetings often and he's silent the majority of the time. And then when he speaks, <laughs> all of us kind of joke behind the scenes. We're just waiting for him to talk so we can figure out what to do. Uh, blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. He doesn't speak about everything, but when he speaks, we go, oh yeah, that's what we're supposed to do. Why? Because when you don't speak on everything, when you do speak, your words matter. Christians, our words need to matter because when we're out in culture, how people look at us is how they see God. So let's represent him well, amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come before you right now and uh, we realize that we've never, we've never done this very well. But as a church, God, I know that you're calling grace to be a place of sanctuary in the city of Orlando, a, a place where we can just come, we can be challenged and we can grow and we can learn to be like you. Father, we want more of you in us 
And sometimes that, to do that, God, we need less of us inside of us. So Father, help us walk in such a way where we actually demonstrate strength through humility, where we're able to have character in the community in such a way that as we're trying to figure out what it means to make decisions wisely and morally, that we trust in you, not just in the rules. Why? Because God, we want you, we need more of you, not more of just rules. Father, we ask right now that you would just pour yourself out on this church and bless those who are attending this church in such a way, God, that we're able to be a witness in the community so that others may know Christ. And for those, God, who are in the room right now who don't know you, may even this conversation be an encouragement to them that we want to be the best for them that we possibly can be. It's in your name we pray. Amen.